right. Here we are with Fellowship of Cybertron, Season 2, The Introduction. We are in August 2020, and it's a, a while after we actually ran the first few episodes of Season 2. Um, I guess we don't have any left or right anymore. So uh, I guess, what, top to bottom? I'm Devin, and I was the uh, Framework Playbook, and right under me we got... I guess Peter, playing the Viator of Null Space, the Angel. I'm going to assume I'm next, because yeah. I think it automatically puts yourself at the top. So I see myself at the top. Uh, but I'm Tyler. I was playing uh, Amble, who was the Lantern. And Ian playing Rover the Collector. That's right. We had uh, two other players. Mark was playing Jackamup, who I believe was the Hobbit, right? The Halfling? Yes. Yeah, he and was small. Kevin was playing the Air and was the captain of the ship and called Skyway, I believe. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, uh, let's give a brief recap. So, we ran Fellowship of Cybertron Season 1 last year. It was fantastic. We had a lot of fun with it. We were using the Overlord framework, and it was a World War II trench warfare story on a burned-out Cybertron dealing with uh, an evil Decepticon scientist named Tarantulas with many twists and turns and whatnot. Um, Fellowship is a game that we can't say enough good things about. It's a adventure game, like it's a Power by Apocalypse story game that allows you to very faithfully with the mechanics it presents recreate the kind of character development and storytelling arc of like she-ra avatar the last airbender dragon prince voltron steven universe that's sort of um legend of korra that's sort of a, a group of people who are heroes get together and they go from community to community writing wrongs solving problems making friends along the way and growing as individuals and forming relationships before leveraging that to stop whatever terrible thing has befallen the people of the land and save the day. It has a, uh, what's the word I want to use? It has a, a, like a facade of being a Lord of the Rings game. And one of the most disappointing things I keep hearing from people is going, oh, I thought that was the game for playing Lord of the Rings. And it's like, no, no, it's, that's kind of just there for reference material for like, getting across a concept like the playbooks are all based off classic Lord of the Ring concepts, like the orc, the halfling, the air, the harbinger. And they're supposed to kind of just fill the very basic story roles. Like the orc is about being someone who is incredibly empowered by both creation and destruction. Um, you know, the elf is all about playing things that are aloof and hard to nail down and alien to the point where one of the examples is a space alien next to a fairy, like a little tiny winged fairy next to a classic D and D elf. But these archetypes aren't meant to be Lord of the Rings. They're meant to kind of just be archetypes you see in all media. Uh, to the point where, like, some of the later playbooks are just straight up influences from Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, there's a Zuko playbook slash a Catra playbook, and it's fantastic. It flips between serving a greater evil and, you know, becoming redeemed with the party and stuff. Like, it's all there. You know, if we were going to do Punch and Counterpunch, that playbook would actually be really fun for him where he's constantly getting lost in the role of if he's punch or counterpunch and joining the party, but remembering that he's actually a double agent, but remember he's actually a triple double agent. <laughs> Best you'd play him. Um, tricky to play that character. Like it'd be mentally strenuous, I think. 
Nah, you don't really have to... So with Punch and Counterpunch, you don't really have to commit to anything being true. You just play through the triggers of the playbook. So if the playbook's being like, you know, mark this when you do this, mark this when you do that, just be like, yeah, you know, that's what I'm marking. That's what's happening. You know, turns out Counterpunch is actually a Decepticon spy. He's totally evil. Then later on, it's like, nope, he was an Autobot the whole time. He just went too deep into the role. The other players will love you. Yeah, <laughs> but you, you expect that from the Nemesis playbook. <laughs> so it's, supposed to, it's supposed to kind of throw you for a bit of a loop that way, I think. And it's kind of the accepted thing you're dealing with when you're playing with the group. That's fair. Because the Nemesis playbook is meant to to flip back and forth as like they finally kind of figure out who they are as people. Anyway. Um so Fellowship is fantastic. It's probably one of the best games I've played. It's probably at the top of my list. Um just at this point, you know, it's been like what a year or two since we started playing it. Um Nothing else has come close. You know, it's just a well-built game. It's very well-balanced. It has, it knows exactly what feeling it's trying to evoke and it does it well. And I know it feels like it's damning with faint praise, but when a tabletop game has any semblance of mechanical competence to it, like someone sat down and went, I want these people to feel like they're the main characters from Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, going around building relationships and saving people with the power of friendship. And like they spent any time at all building mechanics for that. And so the game would actually push you towards that. It feels like it's down with faint praise. Cause that seems like such a basic thing, but almost no RPGs do that. And it's only been a very recent thing where they've started like maybe recent in the last five to 10 years where it's become like a thing where it's gotten really common in mainstream slash indie development space. Cause most other games have been like, Hey, it's a combat engine. Here we go. You want to play Transformers in... Uh, someone pitched running Transformers to us in GURPS. Someone pitched running Transformers to us in, like, uh, the Chaosium basic roleplay system, which is a, essentially a fancy Call of Cthulhu combat game. It has a sand system. Because so, everyone plays Call of Cthulhu for combat. I know, right? Oh, my God. I could tell you stories about the dumb fucking morons I used to game with back in my hometown. Who like they would do Call of Cthulhu, but everyone would have like bandoliers of knives and explosives and stuff, and have excuses to have access to shit. It was like a whole thing. It was like this nightmare. Save that for a story time. I know, right? So that's Fellowship. It's amazing. And um, what we were doing for season two of Fellowship of Cybertron was instead of using the Overlord framework, we used the one from Inverse Fellowship, the second book that came out. Um, called the horizon and the horizon is a more traditional referee role than it is another player character like the overworld was um you basically have control of locations and locations have like a mini tiny baby bird overlord that's kind of strong it has set pieces it has complications it has what's called a threat meter that keeps going up and the higher that threat meter goes the more hard cuts and problems and complications constantly dog the characters Basically, the heroes can't ever really settle down long-term because trouble follows them. And if you leave a location and go to another one and let some time pass, the location you left will eventually cool down and you can go back without upending their way of life with your being heroes in town. So we used the Horizon and we used the ship playbook. And the premise for this game is that the players are crew members of a ship called the 8-Track. It's an Autobot... I think it's a. I think we said it was a research vessel, or was it a military vessel? Was it like a battleship? Uh, I have it up here. Um, 
It was well-made, military-style, complex systems, and Energon-powered. Okay, so I think, yeah, I guess the A-Trek was built for it to be a military ship, and just, you guys are explorers on it. You're going around a new galaxy. You, you had orders to leave whatever galaxy Cybertron was in and go to a new galaxy to explore it and find new life and maybe deal with any kind of problems that might crop up because Cybertronians have gone everywhere and they've left their mark. <coughs> And the galaxy you went to, spoiler alert, was the Milky Way, which is why Milky Way stuff is showing up in it. And there were signs of Cybertronian Decepticon activity through this galaxy because, you know, we all know that eventually the Ark and the Nemesis crash on Earth in the Milky Way galaxy. And then 65 million years later, the Great War starts up again when Mount St. Helens erupts in 1985. So, As we all know. I mean, everyone should know that. <laughs> Like, I have that exact thing seared into my brain. It is the year 1985. Mount St. Helens has erupted, awakening sleeping ancient warrior robots to continue their eternal war. The red ones are the good guys. The purple ones are the bad guys. I just got to go on pause for a sec. So uh, talk about your characters. Okay. So, sure. I was, Well, before we get into that, in terms of things everyone should know, um, I was embarrassed at work the other day because people were talking about Transformers and they were like, oh, what if a Transformer was like a dustbin or like a stepladder? Like, wouldn't that be like super crazy? Wouldn't that be really weird? And from playing this game, I had gained the knowledge that I was able to be like, actually, those are called mini cons and they <laughs> exist. <laughs> and they're beneath us. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that. that yeah. is a thing. And I know that now. <laughs> Yeah, we're sorry, Tyler. We exposed you to this. We've ruined you. Uh, okay, he's learned so, too much. I guess I'll start. <coughs> so, my character is the Viet of No Space. He's the Angel Playbook. He's the Avatar. Um, his agenda is the Honored World. He's here to keep the world and all things and punish the liars and oathbreakers. And since we're playing the Horizon, what he's seeking is seeking peace. So he wants to explore the world, but also to find themselves in it. We have a reflection of that. So, Viter uh, is a large transformer, not as large as Multiplex was in the previous series, but still on the bulkier side. He's a disciple of what was his name? Solmus, the wisdom incarnate. And yeah, he sort of looks apart, so he's a little bit angelic, a little bit throne-like, you know, biblical angel things. He's I think a... we're bearing the lead. Your character looks like Unicron. Well, different things. So he's a triple changer. His, you know, human-ish form looks like an angel. Then he transforms into, you know, the Unicron-looking stuff. Because, hey, angels, you know, the soap bubble theory. You look, you know, once you get powerful enough, you start looking like a shape, and that shape for Transformers is the Unicron, you know, the giant, you know, ball with a ring around it. It's full of ice, but whatever. And his last form is that of a spider, because why not? Make things even weirder and creepier. Have some, you know, exalted stuff to it. Um, yeah, so the angels slash avatars in the uh, our game are the sort of chosen of the, um, what do you call them? The 13 
those are the uh, Primarchs, right? I think you're, the Angels were Disciples of the Five. Yeah. So, yeah. There's the, the Hand of Primus, the five um, people. The and, five god things, like Adaptus, and I think you said Solemnus. Yeah. So, yeah, they created the avatars to be sort of their uh, representatives in Cybertron slash be the people to guide the other Cybertronians towards the path of enlightenment and so on. They're supposed to be neutral, but once you have that total war where either with us or against us, well, all of them died because they tried becoming neutral and the rest sort of had to pick a side. So that's how Viter became, you know, a Autobot. He joined the side, and during he, the war, he was uh, sort of the counterintelligence guy. You know, he doesn't like people lying, so, you know, without anyone that's double agent and so on and so on. And that's roughly his backstory. Who'd like to go next? Uh, I'll go next. So I was playing Amble. Um, Amble is an old Transformer. Um, he is a healer. His alt form is a super rusted up kind of DeLorean. Uh, no, not a... Uh, it was an ambulance, like, wasn't it? Amb- it was an ambulance, but like it's it's an ambulance with like a certain look to it. But now I'm blanking on the kind of car that it is. It's oh. like long... Uh, it's got like it's very boxy. Um, it's got uh, a big kind of like front hood on it. Um, yeah, but it's it's like it's like rusted. It's beat up, um, and he has his little light, which is uh, Screamo, uh, and Screamo looks like an alarmatron. Uh, he's a big flashing, strobing red light with horns for arms that blast out sound. He's your minicon companion. He is my minicon companion. There Were you go. thinking of a hearse? Yes, I was thinking of a hearse. Thank you. No problem. The opposite of an ambulance. <laughs> well, you know, it's a if it goes one way, it's an ambulance. If it goes the other way, it's a hearse. No, it's just a delivery <laughs> truck. A hearse is just a delivery truck. It's not an ambulance. <laughs> yeah. It's for transporting cargo, but the cargo was people. <laughs> Also, you have your little light because you are the Lantern playbook, right? Yes, because I'm the Lantern playbook. Yeah, yeah. and they got a little light that's basically the Force or them being like space paladins. Or the playbook also like makes a good compelling case that the Lantern light could be your key tool, like Glitch was from Bob in Reboot. Yeah, it has a, it has a lot of different functions. Um, mm-hmm. And he's very useful. He can like convey simple messages by like blinking. He can... Um, turn into a weapon he can turn into armor um there's a lot of stuff i can do with like light manipulation that's very good but uh amble was uh he was he was he was crusty um he was i think good-hearted uh at his core uh but a little rough around the edges um yeah 65 million years of war will do that to you (laughs) yeah uh, and his uh, kind of what is a lantern option was wanderer uh, because he's 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 roaming now you know he kind of he's on the ship you know drifting from star system to star system um, and uh, yeah I'm not not too sure what else to say about him he's he's a healer primarily 
but he was also a combatant. Um, he wasn't uh, he wasn't shy about getting into a dust up if uh, things came to that. You were more like McCoy. You were like a crusty old like cowboy doctor. Yeah, exactly. Like what's a your, bone saw. What's your agenda, and what were you seeking? Oh, I thought we were going to do that separately. No, um, let's do it all now. That Peter did. So I was, I was seeking, I was seeking virtue. Um, he wants to, he wants to be a good person, um, and he wants to do good things, and he wants to see positive change affected in the world, even if sometimes the way he does that is a little rougher. Um, or, uh, or, or not entirely politi- politically correct. Um, and uh, my agenda was to protect the artifacts and the history of the ancients. Perfect. Yeah, that seems oh, okay. to track with what we saw. Ian? So I was Rover the Collector. Um, I looked like the Mars Rover, pretty much. Yeah, those um, big suckers. Yeah, yeah, just the like I was I was a standard size Cybertronian, so just like a giant Mars rover with all these little arms for doing weird gadgety things. Um, the collector was kind of neat because I picked living things as my collection, which meant on the ship I had just a bunch of humans and other animals. All, all organic kind of creatures. You had this giant terrarium, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Which, now this... that solar opposites exist, is hilarious, because you just essentially had the wall, but nicer. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually saw a clip of that the other day, and I'm like, wait a minute. This is my character. Wait, I know. When what? we saw that, we were like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's too much. It's Yeah, it hit very close to home. Um. Yeah, so my, my character basically had a really nice version of the wall, but instead of being from just one planet, it was from a lot of planets that he'd visited, and he would like do different experiments to breed them and learn about organics, because his uh, mission or his agenda was... Let me find it here. It was to seek progress. So I wanted to advance... like science and medicine and other technologies and i was trying to understand how if cybertronians could use organic technology and organic life to help benefit us and in the long run he was hoping to develop some form of cybertronian uh lights faster than light speed travel sort of thing like because i know we used to have it in cybertronian but he wanted to bring some of that back because he thought it was kind of sad in some ways that every time we go to a planet, it's always just completely new life. Like it's always, it's changed so drastically. Like for us, it hasn't changed because we just go to cryosleep. But for them, it's been, you know, thousands of years, hundreds of years, millions of years, whatever. So it kept you isolated from the larger galactic community. Yeah, yeah, he wanted he wanted Cybertronian to go back to our golden age kind of thing. And he was looking towards organics to see if they could help in any of the mysteries towards that. I think was kind of his larger ambitions. Yeah. Yeah, that tracks. So, 
there are a lot of themes that I was trying to bring up in this game that we got kind of the characters nailed down. So the idea I had for this game, since it was like Star Trek, essentially, like the, the, the very big idea I had was seek out. So what makes Star Trek a really good show that people have largely forgotten because the landscape of television has changed so drastically. People can't imagine Star Trek before there was a Star Trek, but the large appeal of the original series, and this held true even in TNG was that, anthology shows are really fucking fun people like anthology shows like you know those movies there's like horror anthologies where it's like five different horror stories in one movie or there's like weird outer limits things where like every week it's a new weird story people like those you know they're short you don't have to get super invested you don't have to put in 19 hours to follow the plot etc etc you don't have to do all the stuff we have to do to modern shows now where it's an unending nightmare to watch anything like try to pick up steven universe if you're not a fan go fuck yourself you'll have to like go through everything start to finish and if you really like it that's great but if you're just going there for like the story ideas you, yeah, you gotta mind the, the whole thing it's spread across the entire show it's not self-contained yeah you can't so, you can't watch something in an afternoon anymore there's no sitcoms or what was kind of a yeah what was revolutionary about star trek was that it took the Outer Limits and uh, I guess the Twilight Zone and all those other anthology sci-fi thinking shows where it's like, let's think about ethics. Let's talk about our current selves now through the lens of sci-fi. It took that premise and it said, how about this? We'll give you a new story every week, but for the sake of saving time so we can get more into the story, we're going to keep some things the same. We're going to keep the same characters, the same actors. So, you know, it's, you know, if we have a really good actors, we don't have to get rid of them after one episode. We just keep reusing them. We'll keep the same general sets, you know, but it's cheaper that way. And plus it means we can reuse some if we redress them. You're not going to notice it's the 60s, 70s. Come on, don't be shitty about this. And we'll keep the general lingo about the rules because any good sci-fi or horror story needs to have really consistent rules to be interesting. Like, it doesn't matter if they're fully explained. They just have to be consistent and you have to have an idea of what the stakes of them are. So Star Trek's like, this is the Outer Limits. This is the Twilight Zone. It's the same characters every week. Generally speaking, you know, depending on how well we can remember the scripts, the terms and the rules will stay the same. And they'll develop as characters over time, but it's not really a big deal. They're basically complete characters at this point in their lives. They'll get some arc as they get older. Sure. And Star Trek never remembered that that's what made it good and like started to get more and more about writing stories that weren't episodes of the week or contemporary like morality or ethics questions and started to write more and more stories that were about Star Trek in kind of the same way that Star Wars, when the first like three came out, they were just space movies about space wizards. And, like, it wasn't that special. Like, Luke wasn't that special. He was just some guy who had a really shitty Nazi father who he convinced to not be a Nazi once at the end of his life and uh, save everyone from a space laser. Like, there wasn't anything really dramatic about that. There wasn't anything, like, really, like, like bigger than life about that. It's like, yeah, this peasant in a medieval setting uh, redeemed his father by learning the ways of his father before he turned to becoming a Dark Knight. <laughs> And like Star Wars now in later movies and TV series makes everything that happened in those first three movies the most important thing that ever happened to anyone in the history of that universe. 
it's about Star Wars now. You know, the story isn't about a bunch of ragtag group of rebels overthrowing an evil Nazi Empire stand. And it's Luke, Leia, and Han are the most important human beings to have ever lived by dint of the fact that Anakin Skywalker was the most important being to ever live. And therefore everyone through his bloodline who comes to contact with it are the most important people to have ever lived. Star Trek similarly started doing that. Um, I don't want to point fingers, but I'm going to point fingers at Enterprise uh, because that's the scapegoat here. You know, Voyager had production issues, obviously, and DS9 was uh, essentially perfect. But uh, Enterprise is where it started to be about Star Trek, and that's because they went back to being a prequel. So everything they did was like uh, this weird fetishization of the original series Star Trek. Like, they encountered Klingons, but Klingons were like redneck assholes. They encounter... Uh, you know, the Andorians come back and they get they dig up Jeffrey Coombs to play the lead Andorian. They do prime directive episodes where the option is to let people be genocided because they don't have the prime directive yet, so they don't know that genocide's wrong. That's an actual plot point of Enterprise. It became about Star Trek. It didn't become about an episode of the week doing explorative science fiction. You know, it became about setting up phasers. It became about setting up warp travel. It became about setting up, you know, why their uniforms look the way they look. Callbacks. So with this game, I wanted to do an anthology show. I wanted to pick a couple of plot points, you know, a couple of episodes that we'd explore with the same characters, the same system, and the same general setting, and just see what it's like. And with the hooks you guys presented in your characters, um, I would be able to craft stories around them and try to get you guys to, like, not argue with each other, but have have goals that weren't exactly on the same page so you guys would have con interpersonal conflict with each other and the right thing to do i feel like i didn't do that very well in uh the, the sessions we had because uh, i sort of dropped the ball on the big one because none of you guys were not ever on the same page you were all like this is the obvious right thing to do or, do, you, do you think we're morons uh, i don't know we had some conflict over flyer versus non-flyer with yeah yeah, that wasn't really what I was going for. I wasn't going for uh, class discrimination. <laughs> okay. Well, we did have a small argument about asking someone to sacrifice themselves to, you know, develop a cure faster versus, you know. Yeah, yeah I was able to bring in little things like that, but I feel like as a whole, I, I, I failed at that. <coughs> and I know how to do it better the next time, I think, now. It's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it, but once you get some perspective, you're like, oh, it's obvious where I, was, where I wasn't getting what I was looking for there. Now I see it. Um, so yeah, we had uh, 12, there are 12 aired episodes of this season, but they're grouped together more like um, serials. The way Doctor Who used to do it, the way Doctor Who used to do shows is that they'd have an episode called like, this is the fucking expensive Magellan episode that no one has tapes of anymore. It's five to ten individual episodes long but it's an entire arc about the doctor hanging out with magellan and a lot of it's gonna be real boring so i did that so the first session you guys did the episode one i forgot what i named it but it was basically just an intro to the session this the the system the characters the pretense you know not that important you guys will see that next if you're the listeners are here episode two is where I started to kick in the weird what if stories. So episode two or like the, the arc two or story two was called supply chain. And it was a two parter that is one for one, the plot to James Cameron's avatar. I just wanted to see if with a group of people who were thinking for a living, if they could solve the movie 
um, without getting a bunch of innocent people murdered for oil. And it turns out, uh, spoiler alert, you can. You just have to think a little bit about it. Yeah. The next story, uh, yeah, do you guys have any comments about that one? Like, any, like, thoughts about it or whatever? It was good. You're right. Like, uh, as you say, we had to, we did have to definitely think on some things and do some things, but you're right. We didn't need to genocide a world or murder a bunch of people. Blow up a bunch of military. Yeah. Things could simplify that a bit thanks to the collector just being able to bribe anyone. Yeah, bribery helped. Yeah, but to be fair, that would have worked in the movie. Yeah. And like, even if I wasn't the collector, I'm sure we could have bribed with other things or it just would have been a little bit greater of an impact. It wouldn't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I, I think it had, it had consequences and it had repercussions and stuff. Yeah. And there was some stuff that was going to happen if you guys ever got back to that planet too. Yeah. The next story we did was called whatever happened to the bot of tomorrow. And it is essentially Superman's story, but from like a third party perspective, uh, the crew comes to a planet where there is a last son of Iacon, uh, who's being raised by like farmers and stuff. And he's like a hero to them. And it's amazing. Um, and I even introduced Brainiac. Like Brainiac is called Brainiac in this, and he exists, and he is a known thing that goes around harvesting people. He was supposed to be the evil version of Ian, where Ian keeps a menagerie of people that volunteer to travel with them in these like perfect habitat habitat compartments that are like big enough for people, and like you can hang out and stuff. And it's 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 really interesting lives for them, um, being caretaken taken by a millennia old super god machine. Um, Brainiac was supposed to be like the evil version. He was like taking samples of cultures from every planet in the universe because he believed, and he wasn't even Cybertronian, but he was a, um, he was a xenobiologist or something. And his whole shtick was that the Cybertronian war was eventually going to like go to the galaxy and ruin everything. So he was taking samples of cultures and like putting them in his phantom zone projector dimensions. So he could like have a sample of, have a sample of everything so that, there was a record somewhere of like worlds that would eventually be destroyed by the, the great war. Hmm. Which is really unfortunate. Cause I wasn't there for those episodes. Yeah. Womp womp. It was poor, poor timing on my part. I think I had something came up or something. Yeah. Who can yeah. tell? It was so long ago. So long yeah. ago. <laughs> After that, we had a one-off called trial of the GoBots. Uh, where you find like a sister Cybertronian planet called Gobatron and you have to help the, the, the defenders, um, you know, fight off the rebels and stuff. It, it was, that episode goes places. That was, that was good. Yeah. And then we get to the big one, the elephant in the room, um, Path of Logic. Path of Logic was a story that took up one, two, three, four, five of the, of the 12 episodes in this season. And it's the one that I really had the first idea for. I, I wanted to, I, I watched the H. Blomberg review of Path of Logic when it came out. And like, it stuck with me how interesting the problem in that game was because you played different sides of the story and the plague's problem was still like a problem to all of those sides, but everyone was constantly sabotaging each other and working against their best interest. I thought it'd be a great setup. And you being Cybertronian and the plague not being able to affect you would like, 
you, it would literally be a mercy mission because you guys were doing it just to save other people, just to do the right thing. So it's like, you know, there's no, as these people get angrier and more frustrated at you because that's how the threat level works. Eventually, you know, you start getting riots and people freaking out that maybe the aliens are causing it. You had no incentive to stay at that point, but you being good people is what kept you there, basically. Like, you wanted to see this through to the end, and it's not like you would catch it. Like, there was some plot threads later on, but that's not the important thrust of it. It was a very interesting thing where there was, like, people who were clearly being oppressed, there were oppressors, and there were people who were supporting the oppression, but for basically different reasons. And none of them were working together, and it was a whole clusterfuck. And this, I think we finished recording it right around March when the pandemic started for reals. And then that's when we kind of stopped playing the entire game. eerily close to home. And I remember a few discussions we had of like, should we just not record this? Because it's, I mean, we, is it in bad taste? Is it like, what's, what's going on? I, I don't know anymore because it's escalated so far beyond what it looked like in what, January, February of 2020. Yeah. Things have gotten so different. But yeah, Pathologic was like kind of the big uh, blockbuster for this season. Like it was the one where like the most success I think got pulled off. The most interesting threads kind of got brought up. And the antagonist, which you guys eventually confront, had a really interesting conclusion to it that wasn't just a straight out brawl that I thought was... uh, It was an example of me punching above my creativity level there because what could have been a very boring combat turned into an exciting sort of action set piece true yeah there was the ending again without any spoilers it it definitely was different than just straight combat exactly which Which is always a nice change of pace Mm -hmm. it's it's why i'll say it was me punching above my weight class there i had this this moment of inspiration and I ran with it and it was, it was much more satisfying, I feel, and much more in theme with what you guys were doing there on the planet to begin with. It wasn't about a shootout. It was about helping people. So we got one more story in after path of logic and I called it the icon paradox. And this was going to be for the first of a series of episodes where the crew would return to planets. They'd previously traveled and there'd be new situations, new scenarios, new stories to tell. And that would be the payoff for you guys, you know, having done the first route around, you know, these locations. Now you get to go back and see what's happened. And in between returning to old locations, I was going to throw in a few uh, new location stories. And then once you finish the old ones, then you could come back to the new location ones. And that'd basically be like uh, the season would basically have three, not arcs, but three definitive periods of time, like the first batch, the first batch times two, and then the second batch, and then the second batch times two and maybe a third batch and then a return to the first batch. And you'd be able to get this sense of like the worlds were changing. We had basically decided to slightly modify how command lore worked. Um, Command lore. We were saying you can command about cultures you encounter. Cause like I did, I did try to include like things to command lore about that already existed. But the pretense was you would be able to command lore about the culture the next time you got there, because you would be able to say how they had changed to emulate you your character you were commanding lore about so you could be like yeah you know i'm the collector and there are people there that are like you know they're collector people now they're 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 they they believe in being xenobiologists and like keeping samples and stuff and like trying to understand how the order of things worked on this planet you know ian could just say that yeah Uh, lantern you could just do the same thing with whatever world like the lantern returned to same thing with the angel you know whatever you had command lore for um we didn't get that far though uh 
like after the second icon story, the, the the second sort of Superman story kind of happened, we we just didn't get any more episodes, and then too much time went by, and we can't really pick it back up. We don't really have access to Mark or Kevin anymore to like come back in, so like the party's already broken up, and like things just fell apart because of the pandemic. Which is, I'm sure, a story a lot of people are going to come across if they ever come across these recordings. They're, you know, in like 10, 20 years. Curse you, COVID. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think of. Like, not us. Like, I, I don't imagine these episodes will endure 10, 20 years on the internet. There'll be change-ups to the internet that'll make sure they get forgotten, probably. But there's going to be a period of time where people are going to, like, be nostalgic for these radio shows that people are making, these actual plays, these, these Night Vale-esque productions. Not that we're anywhere near that quality or writing. But people are going to get nostalgic for this shit, and they're going to go back and hear it, and they're going to be listening to, like, I don't know, I think like what, 2015, 2016 is when actual plays really started to boom big, I think. You know, if I had to nail down a year, I think 2016 stands out. And like, they'll be listening along for like a lot of content and then they'll hit 2020 and all of a sudden it'll be like, oh yeah, like two, three cast members are gone. Uh, the story's on hold. People aren't remembering what's happening anymore. They have to start over. Their production equipment changed because they're not in person anymore. You know, the whole dynamic is different now because everyone is doing it remotely. Yeah. And like for people who didn't grow up during this time or weren't alive during this time or who were very young during this time, that's going to be a real trip. It, yeah. Th these, these kind of recordings will definitely be an interesting look back. Yeah. Yeah. Even for people who were during this time to look back and be like, Oh yeah, it really was it, it, like how drastic the change happened, how quickly it changed and then how long the change continued. Yeah. It's interesting that this was basically one of the this and I think um, Tyler's Most Guard game, the Humblewood game, were the last two things we were able to get recorded in person before we basically couldn't record in person anymore. Like people had to move and stuff. A pandemic hit. People lost their jobs. People had to change stuff up, right? So it's interesting that the show we had, where we covered the worst possible way to handle a pandemic possible, where everyone was constantly failing each other was indeed fundamentally altered by the appearance of a real-life pandemic. Weird timing. It yeah. was, yeah. It was eerie, for sure. Right? Like, it was real specific, too. And, like, in your Humblewood game, the right, right before, like, the civil rights movement started up again, like, like, really loudly, that's what Humblewood was about. So, like... This isn't me claiming we're prescient or anything. I think it's just me observing that we are participants in the world we live in, and this stuff must have been in the background for it to make it into our games literally before the powder keg uh, went off on those counts. Yeah. The, we do live the in idea society. Of subconscious knowledge or something like that, you know? Right. Yeah, I, don't know. I guess it's for people in the future to kind of look back on and decide because. I wonder if any other podcasts had something similar happen where like they had this story set up for like so-and-so and so-and-so and, -so, and then like, you know, a month into them actually having it, something very similar, you know, blew up worldwide or whatever. I wonder if that's something that people will see or if that was just us, you know, it was a coincidence and of course we're pattern seekers. So we're trying to see if there's a pattern to the coincidence. Right? I mean, you had some similar stuff in the whole world when all the writers went on strike, for example. Yeah, yeah, that did happen. That did happen. So those were the stories we managed to get out for this season. Um, we 
we're probably done with season two. We probably can't go back to it. But there is a plan to continue Fellowship of Cybertron. Either we're going to do what I've temporarily named a season 2.5, or maybe a OAV if I want to go back to the anime thing. But the idea that we do another season or a mini season that returns to these locations with a different crew and like a di- maybe I don't use the the Horizon, maybe I use like the Overlord or maybe I use the Empire. I'm not too sure yet. Nothing's really nailed down, but we do have an idea to come back and maybe explore some of these plot threads. Maybe I'll pick. I've had time to think since March 2020, so maybe I'll pick out only the best story threads I thought that would work, throw them together, and we can get some closure to this. And I feel like that'd be valuable because the, the last season of Fellowship of Cybertron we want to do is the XCOM season. It takes place on Earth in like 2005, 10 years after the Great War started up again. And it's the plot to XCOM War of the Chosen. And there are playbooks for it now. So instead of the Overlord of the Horizon, you can be the Empire, which is like the Overlord pulled inside out. The Overlord was one man at the top running an entire organization with an iron fist. The Empire is inverted. It's a perpetual motion conquering colonialism machine and it very explicitly can survive the death of its leader in fact it has mechanics for regenerating itself if you kill the leader of the empire one of the other characters that run the empire uh, basically are assigned to be leader and the empire spontaneously generates a new person to replace them so like the empire is not one man it's not one ideal it's not one drive it's a thousand tiny interlinked parts and you have to start smashing those parts before the gestalt entity that is the empire uh dies and uh in it you also have a rebellion playbook so there's there's basically a npc character called the rebellion and that represents the rebel alliance and you as player characters can nurture it and grow it and give it power and boost it and you can actually donate companions you make like friends you make into the empire um to like strengthen it and like they they stop adventuring with you but now they're part of the they're plugged into the empire so they're like running operations for it and making it more efficient wait so, you mean the rebellion not the empire the rebellion right? sorry yeah. not the empire <laughs> yeah yeah you can just terms. give your enemy people it's fine right so that is the vague plan for the next uh outing with fellowship of cybertron i have a lot of fun with it i actually really like running transformers and i'm really happy with it it's, it's a game that just puts me into a nice kind of zone. Oh, right, Haunted Age. It we're was a lot of fun. Age too. I forgot about that. I just I just remembered that entire game that I'd forgotten <laughs> about that we were running. It, it, it fell out of my brain. But uh, I had a lot of fun with Transformers. I had a lot of fun with the setting, with playing around with the concept of immortal people in a forever war and how that affects them and how that changes them. And how that inevitably kind of binds even the, the the two sides fighting together because at this stage this war is the only thing they've known so it's comfortable for them it's a, it's a lot of scary ideas uh but yeah we'll probably come back to it and um one of the big things i wanted to do with you know the various things the characters were seeking was whenever i I didn't plan out these sessions. Like I didn't write them down like and painstakingly prep them. I famously claim that I only do about an hour's worth of prep every week for all my games combined. But for this, what I did was I I would take a piece of paper and I would write down the names of the characters, what their playbook was and what their goal was and kind of what they were like. And then I would try to 
think of what I had in mind for the story and assign factions or points of views or goals in it that represented the player's drives. And I put them in opposition of each other, not direct opposition, not one for one, but I'd, I'd make it like a rock, paper, scissors wheel where like, the one, the thing that represents what one character wants is antagonistic to a thing represented by what another character wants, which is antagonistic to a third thing that a third character wants. And it just goes in like a rock, paper, scissors wheel. Right. And I felt that had some really good, um, like shortcutting for making stories. Like, because I was doing that, I didn't really need to put a lot of effort into the story because you guys ideally could just kind of pick it up from there. If you get what I mean. Yeah. It, it ran itself and I'll, I'll probably come back to that design ethos when we when we get back to uh this game for whatever whatever the continuation looks like but uh it stood out to me as something that was just just a nice simple cute thing to do to make a really interesting story that had like conflict already baked in and stakes and like i never made it like antagonistic in the way that you guys will have guns to each other's heads just in the way that you'd have to like talk to each other and have interpersonal conflict and have compromises and stuff and act like a crew of a star star trek crew have actual yeah actual discussions and player player relation things yeah I, I feel like and this is probably where voyager got off the rails in both instances we had a character be the captain and like we lost that character just because scheduling and stuff and it was important in both uh, uh, Fellowship of Cybertron and Star Trek Intergalactic for a player character to be the captain because it made them a binding authority you guys had to listen to. It meant yeah. that on some level you guys had to have a discussion with yourselves, convince each other of it, but one player had to be like, okay, I've listened to all the sides. This is what we're going to do. It, and then just live did, with that, the consequence of that. It did definitely change our dynamic when we lost our captain. Yeah. And yeah <clears throat> yeah we, we lost a certain sense of of direction i think and decisiveness because a captain yeah. has to be decisive they have to make a call and you guys have to live with it yeah and that so that was a unfortunate thing in the game but yeah it's nothing yeah. you can really do about but it just it just it stands out that games like that like the the star trek rpgs or the ones that try to emulate star trek or farscape or whatever where there was a character in Farscape. They didn't do it a lot, but they did at one point, like they decide, okay, someone has to act as captain and like, they have to make the command decisions. It can't just be a group thing or we're going to get ourselves all shot. Like they even brought that up at various points. That someone has to be in charge sometimes. So yeah, it, it, as you say, it's not, not every time, but once in a while there are I like quick decisions that need to be made. And we just need to go with it and get on board and we can discuss it and argue about it later. But I think the, the obvious solution to this um, that's just staring me in the face is every story to denote someone who is the captain. Like, I don't see a reason why, why with Cybertronian military, you guys couldn't just rotate out being captain. Yeah, no, that would, You're all that would be enough. a very interesting thing, too. It's, it's actually would... something that I brought up in Exalted versus Wad or Princes of the Universe, like... That was that game where you're all playing solar exalts, demigods, rightful rulers of reality, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I just had this weirdest thought in my head on how the circle would like, how they would show each other in good faith that they respect one another as emperors of reality and how they would also like 
prove that they're on board with like supporting each other, right? And the, the weird idea I had was based off an episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Well, two actually. One's a sequel to the other. But the idea that once every set amount of time, you all get one day where like you're in charge of the other four. And like you do stuff you guys want. It's how the original idea came to me. So like, you know, a Charlie day or a D day. And like the, the intent, the philosophy behind that is you have five absolute rulers, right? And they're like, look, to prove to you that I'm 100% behind this compact, this, this binding sort of relationship we've all signed into where we will look out for each other's interests and take care of each other, I will bow my head to the rest of you. You know, in turn, we'll, we'll, we will all treat one of us as king in a fair number of turns for a fair number of time to show that none of us are more important than the other. And the way I kind of elaborated on that after thinking about it a bit more would be instead of like a day where it's like one person's in charge, everyone else has to do what they want, is that you guys would basically set goals. And you'd be like, I want this goal to be accomplished. You will all help me. That's the deal. Because when you guys have a goal, I'll help you. And like, I yeah. don't really have anything concrete down for how that would look. But I, I think about it a lot for Exalted versus Wad and how the team demigods would like handle each other. Where it's like, look... We will all agree to have our own goals and objectives in our own lives, but we all are resources for each other and we're all protecting each other and our own interests. Like we all have people that we care about, you know, whether they're like, you know, that caitiff cult or like, you know, the, the family members or like the supernaturals that you're all starting to protect. You all agree that any one of you can be like, this is the thing I care about. You guys have to help me with it. And it holds yeah. true for everyone else. And it's like, it's like there's there's a turn taking to it, right? Like if you care about Ian thing, the Ian thing to start and take care of it and whatever, then and, then, and when it's done, then Ian has to wait like four more of those things before he gets another like, you guys have to help me. You can't volunteer. You have to do it. Yeah, you're not, you can't just be like, getting ice cream is really important to me today. You have to come. And then tomorrow I want, you know, a cookie. It's no, no, it needs to be something big. And it's it, not like a day thing. thing. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah it's like, it's a, I need you guys to help me set up a safe house for my vampires. Yeah. Right? You guys have to help me with your resources to do this. It's important to me. Yeah. Yeah. As you and say, it's, the, it's like a family. It's a, it's a deeper emotion kind of a thing. That's a and little bit like changelings. It is right. It, I think I might've been partially inspired by that too, in the old semi episode, but I, I actually took it a step further in my thinking to be like, and this is off the rails of fellowship at that point, but I think it's fine because I'm thinking of it now and it's good to talk about so you guys can actually at least hear it. I took that a step further in my thought process to be like, yeah, it makes sense that you guys all have to do each other favors to like understand the power balance of you guys being all powerful. But I think the way I'd run a game like that, where like you're constantly trading power and stuff, is I would you would present your to me your goals, your drives, the things you want, right? And when you want to accomplish those goals, the answer I'm going to give is if you want to get any progress in these goals, no, you're not going to go do it alone. You have to reach out to an NPC, like a guy, and you have to do an adventure with them to get further into it. So it compels you to actually like partner up with somebody and do stuff. And the way I took that a bit further was maybe certain sessions are like for that player like ahead of time we as a play group we go look for the next session or two 
we're going to focus on Peter's goals. So we, sorry, really quick. That's similar to in Exalted when we did the uh, solo session. Exactly. I was thinking that too. I think those were a lot. I, I personally had a lot of fun with them. Exactly. And I think I think you're right. If we had have had because we did those solo sessions with very few people because we did them as a you know not everyone works on Friday, not everyone works on Tuesday, th- that kind of a thing. But if we did it with everybody and as a okay today's Peter's session, we're gonna do Peter's goal. Everybody's here, and you either play your character or you play an NPC. You, you're reading my mind. Peter That's today. exactly how I was gonna pitch it. And that that sounds really fun. Like you either go. I'm going to play my exalt or my main character, or you go, you know what? We have a, we have a stable of NPCs. I'm going to play one of them and they're going to be really invested in getting your shit done today. Yeah. You know, maybe there's a logistic reason. Like the character's not there. Maybe you don't feel like playing that character that day. Maybe you don't think the character would be that interested. Like, you know what? I'm not going to, this isn't going to be your thing. I'm going to do another thing in the background, but we, we ahead of time out of game schedule out when we do certain characters goals. And then we break them up with like a universal group goal in the middle. So you get this rotation where it's like, if there are four or five players, then it's like, you know, we do two sessions or we do like, you know, a Peter session, an Ian session, a meta plot session, and then we do an Nicole session, and then we do like a Tyler session, and then we do another meta plot session, and then we reset to Ian, then Peter. Like, you break it up so that there's times where we can focus entirely on one character, and like, if they want to get their goals done, they have to kind of do a session, and... Like, I know, Peter, you sometimes have problems doing a lot of stuff when the spotlight's on you. So, like, when we do sessions that are devoted to other people, if you don't want to play your character because you want to recharge and, like, maybe do an NPC, then that's a great opportunity for you to, like, put your character away for a little bit and play an NPC because you might be a bit drained because you, you know, you played your main character for your session. Well, it's definitely something you can think about and experiment, maybe. Yeah, I don't really have any concrete vision for it right now. It's more of an idea, right? Like, yeah, I think make... I understand the idea you're trying to put forward, and I have some thoughts of my own and something similar so we can hash That's cool. Uh, a lot of the inspiration came from what you were talking about with Godbound, where it's like Godbound had a, had a subsystem for getting what you want, but it often, like, it had a system for, for creating, like, pushback for it and creating, like, an interesting twist to it. <sighs> But it very often didn't involve anyone else. It was just something you kind of had to do on your own. So the the premise that to get anywhere, you have to do something with somebody. Like, if you want to get more information about, like, weird supernatural stuff, you got to go hang out with a weird supernatural guy who might know about it and be able to put you on the right trail. And that's a bonding session with a guy. It gives everyone an opportunity to build up guys and also, like, role play and, like, like build those interpersonal connections we keep talking about that we want to see more of in our games. I think we can even apply that to like Humblewood and stuff where it's like, there's like the player and the GM turn, but I'm sure there's a way where you can do it where it's like, you know, there's like four or five or maybe three normal sessions, but then every couple of sessions, like we're going to focus on one character's player and GM turn and what they are trying to do and everyone else is going to support them. But I don't know if people want to do that. It's just, I don't know exactly where this fits. I don't know if it's universal to all games or if it only fits a very specific games. I mean, I do think it has a place. It has a place. I don't know if it's everywhere, though. I mean, I think it would help with other things like in Prince of the Universe, where Wanderer wanted to take, like, rescue Torrance. That could be its own thing, where, hey, today's Wanderer's Day. Exactly. Let's focus on that and not brush it aside. This is what everyone's doing, everyone's on board. 
Let's do this. You and and Anthony and like you having goals that never really got realized was like the main thing that kind of sparked that. Where it's like you had a bunch of stuff you were doing with like the, the, the elemental courts and the gods and you, Sean, and you had stuff you wanted to implement and it never got there. And it would have if you got, you know, there was like a hundred sessions, right? If you got even, I want to say eight sessions devoted to you, like eight the royal sessions, you would have actually probably gotten most of your goals accomplished because you'd be able to pick them up in the interim in the in-between sessions when they weren't, you know, Peter Day. Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right with Anthony. Anthony would absolutely would have gotten to, um, you know, do everything he wanted. You know, even even if out of 100 sessions, 10 are devoted to each player. No, that's way too much. No, no. you'd want two or three devoted to each player. i mean out of a hundred like out of a hundred there were five yeah, of but you guys there, there's and... five of us so out of a hundred if even five sessions that's half that's, tw- that's 25 sessions so it's a third what it's, no that, that'd be it's, 50. So it's a quarter what five times five is 25 well i said 10 yeah so oh, okay. if, 10, if 10 were just character driven that would be fine yeah, like 50% of it is interpersonal. 50% of it is Steven learning about gem bullshit. 50% of it is is the, the B and C list team at Beach City trying to crucify Lars because uh, that character Ronaldo's a nightmare. You know, the city stuff that people aren't really, that when you're first watching the show, you're not interested in, but then when you watch it the second, third time, you're like, oh, wait, this stuff's actually pretty cool. But yeah, you might be right. 50-50 split might be a bit too much. Maybe a 30%, 25%. I don't know. I haven't done anything Something, with it yet. Yeah, I play with it a little bit. I'll see, but... Yeah, yeah I think Exalted versus Wild is a good idea. It is a good place to sort of look at it because it could be a diegetic component. It could be something that you guys agree to in-game where it's like, okay, guys, we need to start talking about rules. But I guess we can get more into that when we talk about it. And I think, I think you really hit the nail on the head with the whole, like... You know, if, if Peter or me or Tyler or anybody doesn't really feel like playing their character or they think their character, while, as you say, they, they agree that, yes, I have to bow my head to you this day, but I don't 100% agree with this idea. So my characters, instead of directly helping you, I'm just going to not hinder you or something or like, like you that. Know, I'm going to so help you they, by sending some of my guys. Yeah, yeah. So an NPC gets sent out to do some work. And then it also gives us, as you say, a, a break from playing the same character all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Instead, now we get to explore some different ideas with NPCs, and it gives us a better variety of NPC characters that we can go back to and enjoy. Exactly. Yeah, because it's nice to change it up every now and then. And changing yeah. it up helps people like not feel stagnant in the characters they're playing either, or like the mechanics they're interacting with. It lets them, ex- it lets them play, you know? Yeah, I think the lightest touch of this is when we come back to Transformers and we do like the Horizon. I'll whoever is captain will just rotate that every session or yeah. story, not session, but every story will be different. Like because you know the stories are grouped up. The the serialized nature we're going for. Yeah. Um. Any other comments or thoughts about this season? Like, I know that uh, towards the end of it, I think we are a little bit tired of fellowship, but probably by now everyone has recharged, so we'll be fresh to go for the next batch, I guess. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Yeah, I can see that. Like, I like fellowship a lot. Uh, there's a lot I want to explore with it. There's a lot of, like, I want to play a lot of it and I want to run a lot of it too, but um, no, I, I get that, especially with, um, I feel like 
the changes I was making and the wonkiness might have been contributing to that, and it uh, didn't get a chance to hit its stride. It just felt more uh, more kind of prolonged, especially the 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 path of logic being like half of this season. I didn't I didn't intend for that to happen. I thought it'd be like three four sessions, but it kind of it kind of spilled out a bit there. Yeah, it, part of that was on us to some degree too, because we didn't. I think the first two sessions we didn't fully understand what we were trying to accomplish. Same with me. Like I could have been clearer, but like it was very I think like experimental. The problem with pathology was that here's ten things you need to do, and check off the list. Like, oh, that's a big list, a big list for a show. Yeah, each list was supposed to be basically a scene where like you either were like just getting the thing checked off produced a complication, or you had to get like you basically had to like create an advantage on it and like slay it with story stuff. And like, I didn't communicate that super well and it was all over the place, blah, but I know better how to use that format for next time. Like if I could probably create a similar story skeleton for different ideas and just kind of truncate it down, you know, you're, you're right. However many I had, I think I had like, yeah, I think it was like 10 cause it was like three for each section. Cause I broke the plague down to three, societal sections you had to solve. You had to build a cure, you had to stop civil unrest, and you also had to get distribution of the cure up and running. And these were all separate issues that required separate character skill sets to do. Yeah, yeah, there was... I did make an effort. I I am proud that every character had a skill set that could contribute. It it wasn't just like Ambulon, like like Tyler being a medic, being just totally the, the one carrying everything. Everyone had to do something. That was nice. I feel like that was smart. It's smarter probably than I give credit for, just the fact that everyone could kind of... They could find a way to make their skill set matter. So, do you want to talk about your conspiracy board for all the the episodes? The conspiracy board? Oh, do you mean like the the unpublished episodes? Yeah, they had so many plans, so much of it, and so on. All right, I'm going to go through the, the episode ideas that made it and didn't make it. I sketched out 31. <laughs> so the first one I thought of was called GoBots Nightmare, and that is in season two. You're going to love it. Uh, the next idea I had was the note is literally, I don't know, but the Quantasaurus Rex from Power Rangers Time Force is pretty cool, right? <laughs> and I think my idea was that you would encounter the middle of like a Zord fight against a villain and the Q-Rex was on a rampage and you guys would think they're Cybertronian and they'd think you're Zords and it'd be a, a merry mix-up and maybe Waspinator was the giant suit monster they were fighting and he would escape. It was going to be a whole thing, but uh, I never had a better idea than that, so I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. Uh, one thing that I don't think will come up is I introduced um, this character called General Grieve. And he was part of the Hus uh, Ascendantry or the Hus Star Empire. And what he was is he's a Star Trek The Next Generation reference to the Husnock from Star Trek The Next Generation. Now, there's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where the Enterprise comes across a planet that's been bombed to death and wiped out. Except there's a tiny, cartoonish, perfect square of a farmland on the planet. Like the rest of the far- planet looks like Venus or Mars, except for a little perfect green square with a bucolic house and apple tree on it. And there's like two 75 year old married couple who are like, oh yeah, the Husnock came and killed everyone. It's so sad. I don't know why they spared us. By the end of the episode, you find out that the old man is actually a secret uh, cosmic God creature who 
became human just to hang out with humans for a while and married his wife and they went to this planet and the Husnog like genocided the planet. So in his rage, um, he killed all the Husnog and Captain Picard's like, okay. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't get it. I didn't kill some or the invasion force or the faction that was harassing our planet. I killed all of them everywhere at once. Not just the men, but the women and the children too. So with Huss, who's called General Grieve, and as he was getting older, you know, he was getting cybernetics, so he'd be General Grievous, because I wanted I wanted to you guys to get that fight with him. They're also huge, like they're they're Cybertronian size, they're just big people, like they're giants. It was gonna be great. Um at one point you'd be in conflict. I thought he was standard size, because I thought he wore a mecha suit when we He met didn't him. wear a mecha suit, he just had cybernetics. I was starting to introduce a cybernetics so he'd be General Grievous. Oh, okay. I was every time he showed up, I was making him older and more mechanical. Because that's how he was surviving. He was getting lionization treatments or leonization treatments, like the founding youth. Okay. Yeah. And technology treatments. So anyway, there would be an episode where Hus would be there again, like Grieve would be there. And in the middle of him either interfering with you guys or in the middle of him providing necessary backup, he would just turn to dust. And every one of his people would turn to dust everywhere. And there'd be no explanation why. Honestly, that would have been hilarious and infuriating as a player <laughs> at the there, same time. There's there, no explanation, no science, nothing to math out. Uh, his entire people turned to dust one day, gone. Yeah, no, it would have been hilarious and infuriating at the yeah. same time. That was like one of the third ideas in my list. Uh, I didn't have an, It's not an idea for a whole episode, but it was a scene where it's like a recurring character and his entire people just vanish one day because space is like that. And like, they're all their ships and tech are left behind. That happened in the episode too. There's like floating abandoned Hooksnock ships just out there in space with no crew. Yeah. So the next idea, I just wrote down Zoids to remind myself that Zoids existed and that if you guys crashed on a Zoids planet, you could probably get into some like street car derby boxing match shenanigans. There's nothing more to that. Same with Robotech. I wanted to introduce giant aliens, and I, and I did with the Huss, so that was kind of right there. Um, I also had this idea that maybe sometime in the future, because you're in the Milky Way, you'd run into the SDF-1 and Veritech fighters, which are jets that turn into robots, and you'd be like, oh, hey, this is great. These are my buddies. Um, I had something called Robot Jocks. Which, if you guys have seen the movie, you intrinsically understand exactly how that would have gone down. It would have been a giant Rock'em Sock'em Robots fight to end World War tournament. Where everyone does that one fist bump where their, their thumbs are up and they like fist bump each other with like power gloves. Uh, the next thing was Kaiju, which we put into the Pathologic episode somehow. So that's all taken care of. Um, this one is probably the, the, the more fleshed out run. I called it Evangelion Cyclonus. So if you remember season one, there was that giant hunter called Cyclonus. And he like, when Peter killed him, his like soul left his body on black demonic mist. And like, he clearly wasn't dead. You're going to encounter a planet that was being invaded by like weird Reaper like creatures. And, um, there were going to be humans there that were piling like weird Cybertronian cybernetic giant mechs that were like clearly partially alive in the way that you guys are alive. 
And it was just the, the anime Evangelion. Uh, but instead of having like Lilith on a crucifix underneath their base, it was going to be Cyclonus. And he would have been super okay with you guys freeing him from this weird judo-Christian anime fighting god allegory with space aliens. It would have been the plot to Evangelion. It would have been great. There, there would have been a little tiny nerve HQ. There would have been a little Gendo Akari. There'd be kid pilots piloting the half-mutant, half-assembled Cybertronians. It would have been a nightmare. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these are just one-offs. Like, you got... The, the, in, in Transformers canon, there's a planet that's like called the Ultimate Hospital. And when you go there, you're reunited with your loved ones and, like, your greatest dreams come true and they make you all powerful. And that's all a lie. The planet's actually a pitcher plant, and when you touch down on it, it starts sucking the life out of you and putting you in a lotus eater machine where you live out your perfect fantasy as it eats you alive. Not because it's malicious, but because it's the ultimate hospital. It specializes in euthanasia. Oh my god. <laughs> and that was going to be your nemesis, Tyler. <laughs> the, 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 the hospital planet would have been like, but I provide the ultimate medical care. I have 100% cure rates for all diseases, illnesses, chronic pain, mental afflictions. We have a, we have a 100% thumbs up rating from all of our patients. So uh, that was waiting in the wings for you, Tyler, with Ambu Amble. Um, I was going to bring Cup back because he actually has a plot in the comics where he's stuck on a planet and it's like a zombie land nightmare where there's zombies everywhere and you can't really tell it's real. An episode where Q from Star Trek Next Generation was going to show up. It was going to be great. I had an episode that I just called The Wacky Racers slash Speed Racer, and I'm sure you can understand how fun that would have probably been. Snidely Whiplash and Muttley, you know, Racer X. One of you guys would have had to be a Racer X. They'd be like, I don't know who that driver was, but there's something familiar about how he turns from a car into a giant man. <laughs> with like an X helmet over your face to hide who you are, not even a color change. The Speed Racer movie did that, by the way. Um, Racer X clearly has the same build and proportions as the main character's dead brother, and he takes off his helmet. And it's like you're my brother, and he's like, it's some guy. And he's like, oh, I, I guess you weren't my brother. You're just the same height and voice and like general build as him. Uh, my bad. I have issues. My brother died mysteriously, and he's like no problem and then <laughs> like his handlers like did he believe you he's like yes he doesn't know i've had extensive plastic surgery to hide my true face that of his real brother the fool <laughs> <laughs> he got it so wrong he wasn't close at all that movie has john goodman in it where he fist fights a ninja and he has the upper hand because uh ninjas have a natural weakness to football quarterbacks what if you haven't watched Speed Racer, which I think the Wachowski siblings did that movie, you should. It's I, yeah, it's a lot, and it's live action. And John Goodman, like at one point, a ninja's like trying to stab him, and like he grabs him in a headlock, and he's like, "Dad, how'd you grab that ninja?" And like he just clenches his fist, and on this fist is like a, a school football ring, and the ninja looks at it and starts sweating, and John Goodman just rips that ninja apart. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta watch this. Yeah. Speed Racer is a delight. It's an honestly great movie. Um, it's not like a so bad it's good. It's a good movie. It has 
exciting visuals. It's fast paced. It makes NASCAR seem fun. <laughs> that's that's a lot. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a delight. You know, if they were still doing 3D, that would be the, the one to watch in 3D. But I don't think anyone has 3D tech anymore. I think that died. Remember 3D TVs? Yeah. Well, that was like going to be a thing three for a while. Days they were a thing. Yeah. Remember going to cinemas, Devin? I I don't remember the last movie I've seen in a cinema. Well, maybe it was the cats we saw together. We did see cats together. And you might be 100% correct. Only if Rocket Man came out before cats. But yeah, it might have been cats. The last movie I saw in theaters might have been cats. And that's, uh, that's fucking stupid. That, that's really bad. Yeah. I was mad after watching that movie. Like, Peter paid for it because Peter's a gem. But I'm like, Peter, we got to get your money back. I'm just upset. I can't, I can't be consoled right now. I wasn't like, oh, they ruined this unique and wonderful musical. I wasn't like that because no one on the planet was like that. But I was like, they they recorded this and they put it on TV and they made us watch it and they made everyone watch it and they didn't warn us and I'm just so mad about that. So There should have been a warning before the movie started about what it was going to be like. So Rocket Man came out in May 2019 and Cats in December. So I think Cats would be the thing. Yeah, Cats would have been the last movie... Uh... Before the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> before the world started ending in large parts of the world. Yeah. Oh, that's depressing. The next idea I had, I just called it Merlin. And the problem is, I don't remember if that meant that you would go through a time hole to medieval Earth and help Merlin fight off the whoever fought King Arthur. The Mordred. Yeah, I know, but like, wasn't it like the Scottish... The Vikings, the Irish, the Saxons. Who was King Arthur's mortal enemy? Like, it wasn't just Mordred. Mordred had goons with him. Who were those goons? Oh, I uh, don't know. Right? The I mean, Saxons his his half sisters. Correct, but I'm not sure. His half sister was Morgan Le Fay. Did he fight oh, a lot right. of Fay folks? I was trying to say. What? That's that's the name I was searching for. What name? Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, but that was like his half sister. So she wasn't really like his enemy in so much as she was like, I guess, I don't know, pissed off at him for existing. Never really got that. I've seen it TVized too much where everyone kind of romanticizes like those two characters. Like it's being jealous or something. I don't know. Anyway, the idea was you meet Merlin and Merlin would hang out and he was a wizard and he could cast fireball. And you'd like hang out with him and you'd be all like, now listen, we're going to help you build all these pyramids, but you got to tell people that you guys did it. You know, just to screw up with, uh, just to screw up archaeology. Also, it was an exa- it was a chance for... Um, Osiris, like uh, like Ian's like cat from Avatar Companion, to get loose on Earth and maybe find his own time hole and go back in time and inspire the Egyptian pantheon because that was what I was uh, I was leaning towards that. Oh yes, yes, yeah. I was leaning towards everyone being an ancient alien and like I know that's stupid in real life because people could just build pyramids, but it was funnier in Transformers where everything was ancient aliens. I was going to introduce characters called Zeus. You're going to fist fight Apollo. You know, it was going to be great. That's 
Yeah. Oh shit! No, we had that Nitro Zeus. I think I'm remembering this now. So Nitro Zeus was gonna fall. You, you were gonna fall through a time hole and meet Merlin, and Nitro Zeus was gonna be there, and like maybe him and uh, uh, Osiris were gonna get loose, and there're gonna be other time holes on Earth. And Merlin he ages backwards because he's like a time wizard. So like, you you guys would be fucking up Earth's backstory all over the place. Like you might, you might go to Greece and like, there'd be these giant statues of like a totally ripped buff dude in a toga who like threw lightning bolts down. And that's people drawing Nitro Zeus as a man because he's just like a cool dude with flames and lightning bolts on his paint job. (laughs) Who has like a Greek barrel chest because he changed his like robot mode to look more like Greek statue, like for fun, you know, to blend in. So it looks like the Colossus of Rhodes. I was going to make anyone who knew any little bit about history real upset. Like I was going to, I was going to have anachronisms everywhere. That's fair. It's good to have goals, right? Like, Oh, it would have have pissed off anyone. who's like, what? You can't have the Colossus of Rhodes in contemporary time with the worship of Zeus. It's two different eras. And it's like, so after making enemy with the chess people, now you're attacking the history nation. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I, if anyone ever listens to the two little mini sessions, that I did over the pandemic that I sent Devin. Oh shit. Um, yeah. I gotta, I gotta do stuff if, with those guys. If, if those ever get listened to, it'll make anyone who's ever been to Paris upset. Oh my so, God. Is yeah. it like when I did LA and there was like 50 centimeters of snow and the roads <laughs> are icing over kids it playing was... in the streets, playing street hockey <laughs> in LA yeah, 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 in the middle of very... winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very <laughs> LA in the middle of winter. <laughs> I, uh, I've just made it like, I just officially, when I run games now, I try to be as wrong as possible. I, I do well, it on glad purpose. I'm glad to know you're doing it deliberately. No, yeah, it's it's deliberate now. Like I'm intentionally not researching places to get it as wrong as possible to make it sound as stupid as possible, and uh, I like it. It's fun. It it adds more wonder to the world. Really more whimsy, does. more unexpectedness. Yeah. Haunted Age, um, you didn't get as much payoff because every town was a new town. And they were weird, but when you do that for stuff like LA in like a, a realisticer game, it's amazing oh nicole's giving me a little note king arthur fought the invading saxons ah i was right what the hell is a saxon uh from the north i believe well they're never gonna let that one go uh i had another stupid idea to do terminator but um what oh dude you know what's funny they're doing an idw terminator versus transformers comic oh yeah um and i don't understand how it's gonna go like they're bringing rc back and like rc back and stuff and um i'm like how's like okay they did a comic of superman versus the terminator and like i want you to imagine the first two terminator movies and how much of a threat they're not to superman yeah now imagine because remember they can infiltrate but superman has x-ray vision now imagine Terminator versus five sixty-five million old living machine god kings who can't die. Oh, and can't be altered with time travel. You're immune to time travel because you're a te- you're a chronal, and the literal two weapons in the machine's um, army's uh, arsenal are using time travel to win fights and dinky little machines made of like weak metals like steel or radices or paper mache. Yes, go back in time 65 million years and fight us other prime. 
Oh, right? Well. When your empire was paradoxically even stronger. Yeah, I, no, I don't know how the story fight. would go. I, th I think my idea for it was that you would be on a planet that kept schizophrenically blipping between ivory, like, like beautiful, gleaming towers of, like, a post-war society that has, like, universal health care and they've eliminated capitalism and like everything's beautiful and wonderful and they take care of each other and they're really excited to reach for the stars and like day by day it would flip to a burning wasteland full of skulls constantly being driven over by like tank tread murder robots and you know you guys are a chronal so you have no fucking idea what's going on I think I think that was the the sort of core interesting idea I had with Terminator, where it's like, okay, you got to fix this because it's irritating at this point. You're trying to do first contact, and every couple of days, the people you're first contacting uh, go extinct in a nuclear holocaust, and then they come back and they don't know what you're talking about. Um. Not really others stand up. I have an idea written down for The Phantom Menace where I just had the events of Star Wars The Phantom Menace play out and you guys just happened. Like, you'd be going to space and it's like, there's a ship running a blockade and they're asking for help on all frequencies. And like, maybe Tyler, because he's a Jedi, would get like a feeling. It's like, hmm, we should help those people. And like, it would just be the Naboo fighter leaving Naboo. And they're like, we have to get to the closest planet is Tatooine. We got to get parts for our ship. And you'd be like, that's a stupid idea. We'll just take you where you want to go. Where's Coruscant? Sure. And they'll be like, in sublight speed. And I know, right? That's Although, exactly what I'm thinking. Yes, live. Where it's like, hey, we'll put you guys into cryostasis, and 800 years we'll get to uh, we'll get to Coruscant. And they're like, we we have like a couple days. You need to take us to a place where we can fix our hyperdrive. Yeah, the inability to have hyperdrive was again a driving force for my character. It's great, right? Like the idea that you can't you can't just run away. Like I, I I set it up so that you can't just run away from a problem without it totally resetting the board. Yeah, which makes a very good story in all fairness. Yeah, it, it produces an element of tragedy to like you guys making these connections. You know, they'll move on without you. They'll move on quick. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited actually to hopefully do the thing where we return to the places that we've already been. It's it's a strong contender for the next game I'm going to run. Um, I just need to get over the, the, the next couple of weeks, the hump that we're on right now, just because I got stuff I'm sorting out. But yeah, like I, I have ideas for that and like going back to those worlds and tying up plot threads. Because I, I, I left a bunch of really interesting plot threads in those stories that were leading up to something big. Uh, and we might actually have to pay off for the big stuff. It just won't be with those characters. But you, the players, will understand and the listeners will understand. So that is where that payoff will come from emotionally. It won't be from the characters because we've moved on from them, but it'll come from at least you guys getting that closure, right? You're like, oh, that's what's happening, if you remember six months later. Yeah. Uh, those are really all the ideas I had. I had something written down from uh, a space demon possesses someone. And then I had an idea written down for Gozer shows up on a planet and you guys have to ghost bust him. We busting. did a little bit of a ghost busting. In it. I know. That's why I, that's why I introduced Ecto-3 so that uh, Ecto-1 and Ecto-2 could show up 
and uh, Ectotron. Like, you'd be on the planet that's being attacked by Gozer, and Ectotron would be like, Ecto-3, you've come back to me. Quick, we have to stop this. We have... The Traveler has arrived. They've chosen the form of the Destructor. Is it Unicron? I hope it's not. I was going to have it be like either Starscream, because this would be the planet Starscream fucked up, or it would just be, yeah, like it'd be something dumb, like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> like I, I, I almost would have made it like, you know, they'd be humans, but they'd have like blue skin. They'd be Andorians, and it'd just be the plot to Ghostbusters. You know, they got like their, their, their proton packs. They're just sleazy and stuff. You know, one of them carries a needle full of Thorazine in his uh, in his pocket, and when he goes on dates, you know, just grease balls. You, know, you got a you got a ghost bust. Yeah, anyway, I just had an idea that maybe one of you get possessed by a demon, but I didn't I didn't elaborate on that. There's there's other little ideas; they're not worth talking about. <laughs> but like a demon from hell, ooh, it's possessing you. Oh no. Or it's possessing crew members and you guys have to like basically do the thing where it's like, is it possessing you? Is that something a demon would say? I'd probably link it into your... A little paranoia into the game. Exactly. I was probably going to tie it into you guys trying to do warp travel because it's like, oh yeah, we shouldn't go through the warp. You're like, why? Well, because demons attack is what we do. <laughs> they keep trying to possess us and like they fail most of the time, but it's still a pain in the ass when one of the big ones possesses you. Let's not do even Event Horizon. Yeah, Event Horizon, Warhammer 40k, like, that's exactly where that's from. You know, you go into warp travel and a demon gets you. Or a crew member. You know, Rakata starts speaking in tongues and bleeding from the eye sockets. Oh, oh that makes sense. It'd probably be the minicons or, like, the people that Ian takes care of because the demons aren't big. Yeah, yeah, my like, demons would be. Like, Warhammer 40k demons aren't that large, um, actually. So it'd be like, we're going to possess this big guy. It's like, well, I'm too small. I can't. Like this thing's fifty feet tall. I can't possess it. I like I can possess his finger. I can possess his watch. His watch is about human size. <laughs> no, you're right. The the minicons would be a great like, right. All of a sudden, the minicons just start going crazy. Right, exactly. Like the minicons are there and like they're doing weird, creepy things. They're trying to spook you, but they're small and pathetic. You know, they're trying to cause havoc, and you have to exercise them. Oh, and you guys are vaguely religious. Uh, like, uh, you know, Tyler, you got your lantern light. You have that spiritual connection with your buddy. And Peter's an angel. So you guys would have, like, you would have to, like, tie him down and get, like, oil and start, like, splashing him with sacred energon or oil and, like, be casting him out. And then you'd have to get Ecto-3 to, like, trap him in a ghost trap and then turn him into fuel. Oh. So there, there's a bonus episode we could very, very well do. The Exalted Solutions. Right? Um, that's all I really, really got to say. You know, I like Season 2. I like Fellowship. I like Transformers as a property. Like, it's interesting to go through. And I, I know that we kind of, we don't really follow continuity. And it's really just us playing with action figures. But it's fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think just having fun and playing with action figures is kind of the heart of Transformers anyway. So it's the good robots versus the evil robots. And now that you're like 20 or 30, you're trying to inject nuance by talking about classism. Please, please be super careful about that. Uh, me. You don't want to go in a wrong direction with those allegories. That's what Transformers did essentially. Like 
it was like an action adventure thing. It was a toy commercial, but even like in the eighties when the comics were coming out, it was slowly moving towards exploring why. And the very early reasons why were, uh, he learned how to fly and went drunk with power. <laughs> Flight makes you drunk with power and a death spot. Every death spot that's ever existed had the ability to fly. <laughs> I mean, it, it still hadn't been unproven. Uh, we, we haven't, we haven't really proven whether or not flyers are naturally drunk with power. Their lust for gold. We touched on it lightly, but it, it was never unproven that they aren't just pure evil. Yeah. But I think that's everything for Transformers. So I guess we'll wrap unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about or add. Any God. ideas to bounce off of? Mm, no. Well, in that case, uh, I was Devin. And Peter. Tyler. Ian. And Peter. And this is sponsored by Nobody. Signing off. <laughs>